Great to see you today. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, The scripture will be up on the screen as well, but I think it's always good to kind of just parallel and just kind of look at your translation as well. A few weeks ago, we started on a series. We've been doing the parables all summer, and then I'm doing kind of a little mini-series inside of that series. And are we having a problem with the computer? I see a hand up. We're not sure. But anyway, we're doing a series on the parables. I appreciate our, our uh, tech people up there. They do a great job behind the scenes, and so uh, I, I really appreciate them. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we started, I started a little mini-series inside of the series on how do we wait for the second coming of the Lord. Jesus gave a series of five mini parables that talk about how do we wait for the second coming of the Lord. And the second coming of the Lord really is an important subject in the Bible. So if you remember a few weeks ago, the disciples had come out from the temple. And this is a picture that if you were to go to Jerusalem today, we would be sitting on the Mount of Olives looking across the Kidron Valley Over there. Now, where the Dome of the Rock is, is where the temple would have been in Jesus' day. So the Bible tells us they had just left the temple, and one of the disciples said to Jesus, he was marveling at how magnificent the temple was. And so as they crossed the Kidron Valley, Jesus began to tell them that one stone would not be left on another, that one day the temple would be destroyed. And when they got over here on this side, The Bible says this in Matthew 24, verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying two things. First of all, tell us when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed, is what they were asking. Second of all, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So on those two questions, Jesus gives what we call the Olivet Discourse or the Mount of Olives Discourse. And so, again, they had crossed over. And again, if you were to go to Israel today, it would be looking like this. And this particular passage is also, parts of it can be found in Mark 13, Luke 21, and Revelation 6 through 19. They were asking, what are the signs of your coming? And most of what he talks about are going to occur during that last seven years, what we call the tribulation, before he comes all the way back to earth. And so all of these verses kind of parallel that same thing. So the first part of Matthew 24, he's talking about those signs, that what's going to happen during the tribulation before he comes all the way back to earth. And the last half of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25, he gives five parables on what we're to do while we're waiting. What does God want us to do while we're waiting for the second coming? All right. And so today, or back in that day, if they were looking across the Kidron Valley, it would look something like this. So they were looking across literally at the temple. And to tell you how big that temple mount was in Jesus' day, they estimate about 36 acres, that entire temple mount. That is an enormous uh, thing that they had built there. And so they would have been looking across. Again, they were asking two things. When will the temple be destroyed? What are the signs 
of your coming. You know, the second coming of Christ has always had a prominent place. I can remember when I was a little boy, pastors getting up, talking about the second coming. I can't tell you how many ministers I've heard say, I believe he's going to come in my lifetime. I believe it's going to happen in my lifetime. And now they've all died. Now we're, we're going on. But you know, I think it's always been that way. I think God wants it. Even the disciples, if you study the Bible, even they thought he was coming back in their lifetime. I think it's always been that way because he wants us to live every day as though this could be the day. The second coming really has a prominent place in the Bible. Let me give you a few facts. Over 1,500 references in 17 Old Testament books refer to the second coming of Jesus. For every Old Testament prophecy about Jesus' first coming, there are eight that speak of his second coming. In the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming. That's one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament that talk about the second coming of Jesus. 23 New Testament books, that's 23 out of 27, refer to the second coming of Jesus. So it is a very prominent theme in the Bible. And what are the signs of his coming? And so that's what the disciples we're asking. So let me just give you kind of a quick overview. They were on the Mount of Olives over here on the left, and they were asking about his coming back. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 19, it describes him coming back to earth. And the Bible says he's coming on a white horse. And by the way, people have asked over the years, will there be animals in heaven? Will there be animals in heaven? I want to just step out on a limb. My personal opinion, yes. If he's coming back on a white horse... Has to be horses up there, all right? So I believe there's going to be animals. That's my opinion. And if you disagree with me, take me out to lunch, buy my lunch, and I will listen to your opinion, all right? I do not mind at all eating and listening to your opinion. So the second coming of Jesus found in Revelation chapter 19. By the way, when he is coming back, the Bible tells us in Jude verse 14, he's coming back with ten thousands of his saints, I just want to give you this thought. When we're studying the second coming of Jesus, when he comes all the way back to earth, I believe we're coming with him as his bride. You know, in Jewish culture, after they got married, after they spent seven days alone, the bridegroom would bring his bride out for everyone to see. And I want to tell you that our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, is going to bring us out. And so when you're studying the second coming of Jesus, when he comes all the way to earth, you're studying your coming as well. Because we're coming with him as he comes back to earth. It really does get exciting. All right? So they were asking, when will the temple be destroyed? Now, he didn't give a specific date, but we know from history, in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple. And now call the church age. Paul called it a mystery because, you know, the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come and set up a kingdom. They did not understand that there was going to be a period between the first and second coming. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians there, Paul said it was a mystery that God hid from the prophets. They didn't understand that there was going to be a period where the Gentiles would be grafted in. And so we're living during that period. Will he set up a kingdom absolutely but it's going to be when he comes the second time 
all the way back to earth. I believe he will set up a kingdom and rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And so seven years before he comes back is what we call the tribulation period. It would be the 70th week of Daniel's vision. And we've studied Revelation. We've probably been through it six to seven times on Wednesday nights, verse to verse. I love studying the book of Revelation. And even though we may not agree on everything in the book, and that's okay, but the Bible, I believe the, the word revelation means unveiling. The book of Revelation is meant to unveil Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't want to unveil Jesus? And so the Revelation is a tremendous book. So the last seven years before he comes back, again, would be called the tribulation. Well, when does the tribulation start? I used to believe that when the church was raptured, that would start the tribulation. But that's not what the Bible teaches as far as I understand. But in the book of Daniel, it says when the Antichrist signs a peace covenant with Israel, that will start that seven-year period, all right? So you say, will there ever be peace? Will there ever be peace? Yes, there will be peace. Someday, Israel will sign a peace agreement with the Antichrist, and I believe that will start that seven-year period. Now, somewhere between the beginning and the end, I believe the church will be raptured. That's why there is some teaching about his second coming that says he's coming like a thief. There's no signs. He's going to come when we least suspect it. But there's others that say all these things have to happen before he comes back. Well, which is it? I think it's both. I don't think there has to be any signs for the rapture of the church, but before he comes all the way down to earth, I think all these things have to take place. Now, we're already seeing a lot of the things the Bible mentions, which means the rapture would be that much sooner. And so somewhere the church will be raptured, which makes sense. If we're going to come back with him in Revelation 19, somehow we got to go up. We got to go up with him. Now, somewhere during the latter part of the tribulation, I believe there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb that'll take place up in heaven. All right? And that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 19. There's only a couple verses. But this is something that I just marvel at. Of all the things in the book of Revelation, this is one of those things that intrigues me to, to I mean, through the utmost. But there's something about the marriage, and when John, everything John saw in the book of Revelation, and he saw so much. I mean, John was revealed so much revelation, but when he saw the marriage of the Lamb, when he saw someday that Jesus is going to be married to the church, I can't wrap my mind around that. I mean, I I've, I've told people, if I could just go to heaven and, and scrub the street with a toothbrush, I'd be happy. I'd be happy. I mean, that, that beats the alternative, right? But I, I just want to give you good news. You're not going to be up there just scrubbing the, the street with a toothbrush. He's going to marry the church. He's going to become one with the body of Christ. How is that possible that God would choose to join together and become one with the church? That is hard to believe. But when John saw that, he was so overwhelmed. I mean, everything he saw in Revelation. But when he saw the marriage of the Lamb, the Bible says he fell at the feet of the angel and began to worship the angel. He got so overwhelmed, so blown away. The fact that God not only wants us in heaven, but he's going to become one with us. I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around that. John was so blown away, he fell to the ground and began to worship the angel. And the angel said, man, don't do that. I'm just a fellow servant like you. I want to tell you, when we find out what God has waiting for us, 
I think we're going to be so blown away that he not only wants us in heaven, but that we're going to become one with God. And I love how Revelation, Jesus said to one of the churches, you're going to be able to sit on my throne with me. Can you imagine scooching down next to Jesus on his throne? But we're the bride. He's going to show us off. You guys don't get excited much, do you? I remember the first time I talked about it, Bill Scott. Bill Scott's probably one of the biggest guys. I asked him if he would wear a veil and stand up here. I said, nobody's going to say anything bad about you, Bill. And so he stood up here and I said, can you imagine Bill being the bride? We're going to be the bride of Christ. I love that verse in Isaiah that says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so will my God rejoice over you. I mean, I always knew I'm going to be happy in heaven. I always knew that. But the Bible says God is going to rejoice over you like a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. He's pretty crazy about you. We better go on. All right. So a few weeks ago, we talked about being watchful. The first part is we're talking about what do we do while we're waiting for the Lord? Because again, he says it's going to come at any time. I think the rapture could come at any time without any warning. And then all those signs take place before he comes back to earth. So it's going to be a very normal, everyday. People are going to be going about doing their everyday normal stuff. Remember, the Bible says of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven but my father only. So only the father. And by the way, in Jewish culture, if you understand Jewish culture, it's amazing the parallels between a Jewish wedding and our, our wedding to Christ. Because in a Jewish wedding, only the father of the bridegroom knew when they were going to get married. Because the bridegroom had to prepare a place for his bride. And it was only when the bridegroom's father said, it's ready. You can go get your bride that he was able to go and get his bride. And remember, Jesus said, I'm going to what? Prepare a place for you. He went to prepare a place. One day the father's going to say, this looks awesome. Go get the bride. You'll be more excited on that day. Back in 1988, and I always get tickled at people that come up with a day and an hour the Lord's coming back. He already said nobody's going to know the day and the hour, but there's always somebody who's going to give you a day or an hour. Edgar Wisenot, I call him Edgar Wisenut. Back in 1988, he wrote a little booklet, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. That's kind of a cool ring to it. 88 reasons why he's got to come back in 1988. He even said, only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. He was that confident. He sent out 300,000 copies of this to ministers all over the United States. 4.5 million copies were sold in bookstores, and he had people's attention. He even gave a three-day window, September 11th, 12th, or 13th of 1988. We're still here! And after he obviously missed that one, how many of you know he came back with another one? He actually wrote another book called The Final Shout, Rapture Report, and he gave a scenario for 1989, 90, 91, 92, and 93. And as time went on, how many of you know his book sales began to decline? Because people realized he was a wise nut. I mean, he was a nut. Someone wrote a, did a cartoon about this guy. 
As my charts show, the rapture will occur sometime in 1990, 91, 92, or 93. At any hour of any day, if that doesn't happen, I'll come up with a prediction in 1994. And he actually came up with predictions all the way to 1997. He died in 2002. We're still waiting for the bride. So don't go sell everything you have and stand out on the street corner with your suitcase waiting for the second coming. Don't do it. If you're going to give away all your money, give it to me. I'll pray about what to do with it. But yet people, it's amazing when people give a date, we get all kind of rattled. But the Bible says he's going to come at any hour of any day. As a matter of fact, he says, we talked about a few weeks ago, as in the days of Noah, so will the son of man be. Now, he wasn't talking about how the whole world was evil. He wasn't talking about somebody going to build an ark again. What he was talking about, what's going to be the same when he comes as the days of Noah, it's going to be so everyday average routine. People are going to be marrying and giving in marriage. People are going to be eating and drinking and just being married. He's going to come back at a day that is so normal. You know, if we knew when he was coming, we'd be, we'd want to get our life together. But that's why the Bible says we got to live every day as though this were the last day. I mean, it's going to be a very normal day when he comes for the church. I don't think we're going to know. Just like in a Jewish wedding, when the bridegroom and the father tells the bridegroom, go get your bride, even she doesn't know. He shows up in the middle of the night, and they go before him and say, the bridegroom is coming. Nobody knows except when the father gives the word. And one day the father will say to the son, go get your bride. And it's going to be a day, like every day, every normal day, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. And the Bible says, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that two are going to be grinding at the mill, two are going to be in the field, two will be in the same bed, one will be taken, and one will be left. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, again, you have to understand Jewish culture. Really, for all of these parables, if you don't understand Jewish culture, they won't mean as much. But for two women to be grinding at the mill, as we said a few weeks ago, in Jewish culture, that would have meant a mother and daughter are two sisters. For two guys to be out in the field, it would have been a father and a son or two brothers out in the field because they worked as family. For two people to be lying in a bed, could be a husband and wife, could be two brothers, two sisters. But the Bible says that when it happens, it's going to be so sudden that one will be taken and the other will be left. That's because we got to live every day. We cannot put off one day making a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And second thing, now that was all the introduction for today's sermon. Amen. So the introduction, the runway will probably be as long as the flight. All right. So just kind of relax. All right. So today, the second parable he gives, as we're waiting, what does God want us to do? What should we do while we're waiting for the second coming? We're to be a faithful and wise servant, all right? Now, Luke's gospel uses the word steward. Uh, uh, Matthew uses the word servant, which is really the word doulos, which means slave. So what are we to do while we're waiting for, for Jesus to come back? God wants us to be wise and faithful stewards, all right? So let's look at the text, and I'm going to ask you guys to read it with me. If you're watching by video, you can just read it right from your couch, all right? Let's read together. 
as he starts this particular parable. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So what are we to do? The Amplified Bible says it just a little bit different. The Amplified Bible says this. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give others in his house their food and supplies at the proper time? So what is a steward? You know, God has gifted us in the body of Christ. And one of the things he wants us to do as we're waiting for him to come back is just to minister to other people in the body of Christ. God has gifted all of us, and God wants us all to be serving the body of Christ. That word household is used a couple other times in the New Testament. Paul says in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so God's household is his body, it's believers. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so while we're waiting for God to come, because we don't know the day or the hour, One of the things he wants us to be doing is just ministering to the body of Christ. And I love how Paul describes the church as a body. Isn't it crazy how the body all functions together? You know, if I were to throw something at you, most likely you would go up with your hands, your whole body would react. He wants the church to be a body ministering to each other and to serve each other in the body of Christ. That's what he wants us to do while we wait. When we think about servanthood, you remember Jesus said, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. You know, I, I want to be honest that in the flesh, there's something that appeals for people serving us. But in the body of Christ, one of the things you'll find a joy in, it's not how many people are serving you, but it's how many people are you serving? I remember many years ago, someone came up to me and said, Pastor, no, no one shook my hand today. I don't know if I'm coming back. Now, when I, when, as I get older, how many of you know when you get older, you get a little more bold? All right, not, all, not always good. But he began to tell me, wasn't coming back. Not, not very many people shook my hand. And so I asked him, I said, can I ask you, how many hands did you shake? You know, when you're counting how many people have done something for you, you're probably not doing much for others. I had a member say to me, Pastor, I'm not coming back. Man, my wife's been sick and, and nobody from the church has been up to see her. I'm, I'm not coming back there. Now, sometimes we drop the ball. I'm just being honest because church is a lot of imperfect people. But I know for a fact that I had been up there to to see his wife, but no one answered the door. And I knew several other people that went up there. But he began to go on how hurt he was that nobody from our church came up to see his wife. And I understand. And I apologize. But then I asked him, I said, I want to ask you a question. I know you're leaving. I just want to ask you a question. How many people in the church have you gone to see the last two months? Zero. And I said to this brother, should we judge you in the same way that you're judging us? I apologize. I said, I just want you to know we love you and we may have dropped the ball. But can I tell you, ministry is not about what everybody's doing for you, but it's about what you're doing for the body of Christ. God has gifted us not so that we can self-center, but he's gifted us so that we can minister to the body of Christ. 
I think I shared some time ago, but I went to a conference uh, many years ago at Missouri Baptist, some kind of a, a state meeting, and they had some RAs there. If you remember RAs, you've got to be kind of old to remember RAs, but it was kind of like the little Boy Scouts for Christians. But anyway, they, they all had little shoe shining kits, and I remember one of the little boys came up to me and said, would you give me the privilege of, of shining your shoes? And I want to tell you, it was hard to see that little boy kneel down and he began to clean my shoes. It would have been easier for me to stoop down and to, and to clean his shoes. And when he got done, he stood up and said, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to shine your shoes. I remember uh, Brendan and I had the privilege of going to a, a Peter Lord's church down in Titusville, Florida. This was back in the early days. We were at Gerald. And we went down there with about 60, 70 other ministers and wives. And all week, the kitchen crew just waited on us hand and foot. All week, man, they just waited on us hand and feet. They just, man, they treated us like royalty. And the last day, all the kitchen crew came out. And they wanted to sing a song to us. And the song they sang, I won't sing it for you because it wouldn't, it wouldn't mean the same. Because I can't sing but they sang a song that said something like this, brothers and sisters, we just appreciate the privilege of being able to serve you this week. And man, I could feel tears in my eyes when I think about these people who serve so faithfully. And yet they got up and said, it was such a privilege to serve you. And so while we're waiting for Jesus to come back, your name may never be in the bulletin. You may never be recognized by anybody for what you're doing. But I want to encourage you just to be faithful, serving the body of Christ, however God has gifted you. And don't worry about the applause of men, but I believe it's the applause of God. And one of the things we find when we begin to serve, it's a joy to serve the body of Christ. And when I'm preaching this, I want to just stand up and say, our church, I think, is top shelf in this way. The greatness of our church has nothing to do with what happens on Sunday or who's preaching up here. The greatness of this church has always been people who are willing to serve the body of Christ. It's amazing how many people are doing things behind the scene that nobody knows anything about, but God knows. And that's what he wants us to be doing. He want, when he comes back, wouldn't it be great for him to come back and finding us down washing somebody's feet and just serving someone in the body of Christ when he comes back? I'm going to ask Ron Spruckelmeyer to come up here for a minute and just have a seat here. You can stand here for just a minute. Now, you guys may not know Ron, but when I first came here in 1994, I've had the privilege of being here. Uh, I'm in my 27th year. But Ron is one of many uh, members of this church that devoted themselves to build this building. And they really sacrificed. They sacrificially gave their time, their energy. And people told them they were crazy to build such a big building. They were only running about 50 or 60. But I just want to say, and Ron would never say this, but Ron was, just wanted to so give to the Lord that he literally took a year off of his job, a year off of his job, and devoted that year to build this building with no pay. I'm going to tell you, that's sacrifice. 
And I want to tell you, you know, the, the reason I think God is blessing our church is it began with a core of people who were willing to serve God and just do what they could do for the Lord and really not get any applause from men. And so I'm going to ask you just to sit down here for a minute, and I, I really didn't come prepared, and this won't be a, a, an official foot washing. But I just want to tell you, I love you. I love this guy. He has a tremendous heart of servanthood. And so this, you'll probably still need to clean your shoes. I just want to tell you, I love you. I, I feel so fortunate that God allowed us to serve together in this body. And I just want to tell you, I love you and I appreciate you so much, man. I don't know if I'm supposed to hug you or not, but I'll give you a side hug. I feel so thankful. I, I know I talk to pastors and they say to me, man, I can't get anybody in our church to do anything. I can't relate to that. I really can't. When we have a need come up, we have more people than we need. And that speaks to the heart of our church. And so while we're waiting for the Lord to come back, don't just sit back and wondering who all's doing what for you, but find out how God has gifted you and serve. You'll find a joy in just serving God, whether you get recognized or not. And I look out, and I know the early service, I had kind of a sea of, of gray hair. And I know many people will say to me, Pastor, I've, I've, I've done my time. I've served God. I'm going to relax now. No! As long as God gives you breath, you should be serving Him. I mean, we should be the ones leading the charge. The Bible says it's the elder that should be leading the younger. I mean, we're the ones, as long as God gives us breath, He wants us to serve. Don't ever quit serving God. You lose the joy and the privilege. And as we're waiting for the second coming, let's just stay busy serving God. I love Mildred McCorder. She was a retired uh, missionary, 67 when I uh, heard her. She had never been married, 67 years old, never been married. But I remember her saying, I'm still looking for a man. She says, I'm looking for someone who's filthy rich, mission-minded, and terminally ill. That's what she said. Now, I'm, not, I'm just repeating what she said. I'm not saying it's right. But Miller McWhorter, I don't know why I remember that, but Miller McWhorter said, I'm going to serve God till the day I die, because if I quit serving God, he's, going to let, why, he's just going to call me home. Why should I take up good air if I'm not serving him? I love that. Don't waste a day. Keep serving God. And I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are doing it. But I'm just telling you, don't get discouraged serving God. Don't get discouraged serving the body of Christ because that's a wise and a faithful steward. And when the Lord comes back, because we don't know the day or the hour, that's why every day we just got to be living it because we don't know when he's coming back. So he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many even Jesus came to serve others. And that needs to be in our heart as we wait for the second coming. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So again, when, we're, when Jesus comes back, we don't know the day or the hour. That's why every day we got to be living it. I just want to encourage you, keep serving. Find out where God has gifted you and serve in that place. Don't retire. Don't retire. As long as God gives you breath, keep serving. I just want to challenge you. 
He says, as surely I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. Let me just give you this thought. I don't have time to develop it. I believe that when we're faithful here on this earth, when God comes back, when Jesus comes back, I think we're going to have a responsibility in that millennial kingdom. And I think how God uses us to serve there will be based on our faithfulness right now. I used to think we'd just be sitting in heaven all the time, and even here on earth during the millennium, I thought we'd just be sitting in white robes playing a harp 24-7. Now, there may, there's going to be some harp playing, there's going to be some white robes, but I believe, I believe, and I don't have time to develop it, but I believe we're going to be given responsibility. We're going to reign with him, the Bible says. We're going to be serving with him during that millennial period, and, and how God uses us then will be based on our faithfulness now. That's why it's so important to be faithful right now. And then on the opposite side of that, he says, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, which it's been 2,000 years, you may say, I don't know if he's really coming, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. So instead of being focused on others and serving others, when we begin to focus on self and indulge in the flesh and begin to mistreat others in the body of Christ, that's good. That's not good, all right? And so he goes on to say, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Warren Wearsby uh, kind of retranslates that last verse to say, and shall punish him severely and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. Why do we need to live every day? Because if we're not serving the body of Christ, we're really expecting to be served. And can I tell you, if, if we could just really be real, church is either the best of the best of the best experiences on this earth when we are focused on each other and serving each other, or it can be the nightmare of all when it becomes self-centered and we can begin to have pride and, and all kinds of division happen in the church. But that's why we need to understand that he has given us gifts. He wants us to be a faithful and a wise steward. While we're waiting for his coming, let's stay busy just serving the Lord. You know, there's a statue outside of Boys Town. It's a, it's a statue of a boy holding another little boy and carrying him on his back. And the saying that's on the top of the statue says, He ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. And then below that it says, Dedicated to helping all the youth realize their full potential for God, self, and society. You know, when I think about that statue, I think in, in essence, God is asking us to help carry the load of our brothers and sisters. That's part of serving. That's why Paul said, bear one another's burdens. And, and what we'll find is it's not a drudgery. It's not a burden to help bear each other's burdens. It's a joy. It's a joy to be able to serve one another in the body of Christ. The Hollies wrote a song, and I don't know if it was inspired by this. I'm not sure. It was back in 1969 called, He Ain't Heavy. He's My Brother. And I just want you to think about in your ministry to the church, I hope that you'll find that your ministry is not a drudgery, 
But I hope that you'll find the joy of being able to help bear one another's burdens and help serve one another in the body of Christ. And so I I want you to listen to this song. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. And I hope that that we'll make a commitment that we want to serve the body of Christ. Next week, we'll be looking in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. 
And again, the connections, what do we do while we wait for the bridegroom? And understanding Jewish culture helps us understand the parable of the ten virgins and being prepared for his coming. So in all of these stories, all of these parables, it's watch, be ready, because we do not know the day or the hour. And so let's live one day at a time. And let's just continue to serve. I'm just going to ask you, just right where you are, to build an altar and just surrender however God has gifted you. I just want you to serve God. Find where God has gifted you, and I just want you to serve the Lord and just be faithful in serving the body of Christ. Maybe you're here today for the first time in your life. Maybe you've not ever really received Christ into your life. I can't imagine putting off inviting Christ into our life because we do not know how sad it would be to be left behind because we thought we had more time. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I hope right where you are, you'll take a moment and just invite Christ into your life and realize he died on the cross for you.